Shell, we got you. You there? Here I am. How you doing? We're we're going well. Thank you so much for getting up early and uh, jumping on our hundred percent live stream. Is it? A, is this an early start for you or what? Uh, the kids got up this morning at five. So it's not an early start, but I feel like it's really early for a podcast for me. Like usually I feel like I'm doing later in the day. I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person, but I still have to get up when the kids get up, I guess. 5 a.m. is pretty early, yeah. isn't it? You hear, we hear, we have a few people on the pod sometimes and they're like, we get up at 5 a.m. by choice and, and <laughs> do all that sort of stuff. But it's like surely a couple of hours just. By, by choice, no kids. I reckon you're like, you got serial killer vibes or something. <laughs> Well, did you guys ever see, because there's that, that book that went around heaps, the 5am club. Oh, and no, I it. Well, I was like, if I had choice, I would never join that club. Like that sounds like the worst club to be part of. <laughs> <laughs> but like when your kids get up and they're like, mom or dad, usually actually they go to Sam. They want, they want Sam, which is, which is good for me. Right. But um, anyway, it's early, but hey, I'm stoked because I'm hanging out with you guys and we've got some good vibes and banter, so I'm all here for it. Well, today our topic, 100% careers, we're going to wait a few more minutes. I reckon there might be a few people a bit tired this morning. <laughs> uh, Locke and I were just saying off air that we thought everyone had a public holiday, but we're not right. It was just a, yeah. a Victoria thing and uh, I reckon there's a few people that might be a bit sleepy after a long weekend. <laughs> there's a few cars on the road going back last night. We were coming back. We had a round of golf and... It was insane to see the traffic coming back of people who have just enjoyed the long weekend. Good weather. Yeah, so anyway. you guys played, played. is it a couple of rounds of golf? I'm not a golfer. What do you? I think it's a round. A, a round. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't we, know. Lucky we played this game called Scramble because I played a few errant shots. We were just talking before. I reckon I played four good shots for the day, but we only lost by <laughs> two, So, which is good, you know, because old Mardo, he, he plays all the time. He's on a golf tour and we nearly beat him, so. That was kind of good, wasn't it? No, I don't know if he, we nearly beat him, but we we tried our best. We tried our best. For those <laughs> who are watching, <laughs> for those who are watching today, um, we'd love to introduce yourself a little bit, Shell. Like, I'd love to hear for people who might be living under a rock and haven't seen <laughs> your stuff, haven't seen the Today Show, don't have mainstream TV, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't have free TV. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Shelley, and I do uh, well who i am like i'm a mum to two little kids and um they're pretty cute and married to sam and then i do a pod as well called my millennial career which is fun and we really help people find how they can win at work so navigating all the weird stuff like work is a weird place right like it's this like weird dynamic full of like weird people stuff that happens and so my job as uh HR consultant has always been navigating the weirdness of work. So now on the pod, that's what I do, help people really figure out what do they want to do with their life and how does their career fit into that? I feel like that's such a hard question to answer because there are so many people every like work for me when I think about it, it's just, it's pretty crazy that everyone has to do it. You know, like can we just started like the thing, like you have to start this thing. The way I grew up was like you're meant to pick your job that you have to do and then you go and do it you do it for the rest of your life and you'd be happy and you don't complain. Is that what it means to have a career? Yeah, well, I think that's what it meant when we were probably growing up and what we saw our parents' generation do. But what we're seeing for millennials and Gen Zs is that they're going to have between three and five careers. And I think it's the research from McCrindle who have found that you have between three and five careers and over 30 jobs across your life, working life. So if you think about that and you go, oh, yeah, cool, well, I'm going to be doing all these, I'm going to have multiple career changes. If you're 30 years old right now and you haven't had a career change, I'm not going to be the voice of doom, but I will tell you that a career change is coming for you. And so we need to prepare for that. And we can actually set ourselves up to navigate those big changes really well if we have done some of the deep work around what really matters to us in our life and work. It's pretty crazy the pace now that it's moving out. Like the fact that you might have 30 new jobs for someone who might not be a big risk taker or they like the security blanket of I'm going to have my one job forever. The idea that they're going to have another 30 jobs for the rest of their life is pretty confronting. I can imagine doing some of the work that you do and taking workshops and walking people through that information. Surely that sort of blows their mind if they're very on the risk adverse side of things. Yeah, totally. We talked uh, in our book, Sort Your Career Out, Shameless Pug, 
about this full idea of risk-taking and what makes someone more willing or less willing to take risks. And for me, like I'm a really risk-averse person. Like I started my business uh, about nine months ago and that was such a wild, daunting process for me. Like I never would have imagined myself doing that because I like everything to be structured and ordered and I'm a massive perfectionist. So, or I'm a recovering perfectionist, I should say. So I think when we look at our risks, if we don't know what we're good at, it's really difficult to take risks. Like if you're taking risks in areas that you, you're you not highly skilled in, then that can be, I think, a really unreasonable risk to take. But if you know your strengths, like you know what you are freakishly good at, the things that you do better than anyone else, if you take risks in those areas, the chance of reward is a lot higher as opposed to just kind of, and there's this concept of following your passions. Have you have you ever read anything by Cal Newport? Yeah, I'm a huge Cal Newport fan. How good is Cal Newport? I f- he had posters in him. his bedroom, Shell. Like, <laughs> he got him to sign it. He's like, uh, send me your undies. Well, you know, for, you ask him once, do you? <laughs> I never said that. But for a long time, for a long time my, my biggest recommendation was like deep work or digital minimalism. Or I, I like another guy, James Clear, who does Atomic Habits. Like they were my, and Sean Ellis, who we've had on the pod, who has a book called Hacking Growth. They're like my four books that I would recommend to anyone because reading Cal Newport, not didn't change my life, but it like a lot of the themes I must have already been thinking, he'd already, then he wrote about it. So like, what the, like, how do you escape from technology? How do you find your own way? Like, how do you escape from what everyone sort of already told you? That's, I, I really liked those sort of themes that come out from this stuff. Uh <clears throat> Deep Work is one of my all-time favourite books. So, like, Rob, I'm so with you on that. The thing that he does really well in his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, which really shaped a lot of what we did in our book, Sort Your Career, was this idea of don't follow your passions. So he speaks really strongly in all his research around following your passions is a terrible idea because if you take me, for example, I am super passionate about fine dining. Like I am into it. I, I, I could be like, if I could find dine every weekend, if my if my bank account would afford it, I would be a very happy person. But does that mean I should go be a chef in a, you know, hatted restaurant? Absolutely not. Like I would not be able to handle the stress of that. But I'd like to. Food critic. Yeah, I, could, I could maybe be a food critic. I could make a good food critic. I don't eat anything though. Didn't try it. One out of 10, I don't know. (laughs) But I think if we apply that lens of going, what am I passionate about? We can often go down the wrong pathway as opposed to follow your strengths. So follow what you're really good at. Find what you're uniquely good at, as I mentioned before, and then just pursue that relentlessly. Build on the strengths, build on the things you're already good at. And then if you create a career in that pathway, you're more likely to be successful. You're more likely to be energized by the work you do. And that concept for me, reading Cal Newport's work, really shifted my whole mindset on careers because I don't think we've got all these cliches out there, but I don't think we challenge them enough. So his work is awesome. I'd encourage anyone to read it. I, I liked, um, there's a, Gary Vee also had said something about like, how much money do you need to make to be happy? And he talks about, if you, he has one cool example. He's like, if you wanted to be a beekeeper and make honey and you worked with bees all day and you could sell your honey and make 80 grand a year and then you work for yourself, you did your stuff, would you be happy? And I feel like that's, there's that weird thing of following your passion and then people having a career, like an understanding of, all right, cool. How much money do I want to make? Or how much money do I need for the lifestyle that I want to live? Or what are the trade-offs attached to this? And I feel like you got to really like I'm keen to get into the strategies people can dive deeper on themselves to understand strengths and weaknesses understand the things that they actually might want to do if they're following a passion or things like how do you build all that stuff in because there's so much like I, when I think of work now and I think Locke and I have a pretty unique pathway of how we got into what we're doing and, and now what we're doing for our career it's very different to what I thought I'd be doing and it's like I, I don't really it's sort of unplanned a little bit you know, yeah. it'd be nice to have a little bit more like creating a plan and hitting where you want to go. Can you go through what someone might do to figure out strengths and weaknesses and, and do a bit of a strategy of how they want to path their life? Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And I, I'm i going to make sure that I come back to hearing about 
your story because I think often we feel like we should have this really solid plan. Like I've got my five-year plan mapped out and step-by-step what we what I need to be doing. But your career is not linear like that at all. And you guys back in the day wouldn't have known. Podcasts wouldn't have ever existed when you were studying it, going to uni, doing whatever you're doing. So yeah. we don't have, I think the plan and the, the that whole concept is a bit flawed. I think we need more to do the self-awareness journey, which I'm, I'm glad like you asked about, how do we find our strengths? There's a few different ways. So the first thing is we need to become really self-aware. And for each of us, <clears throat> for each of us, we're more in tune with what we're not good at. So I could list off 127 things to you guys of things that I'm not good at, but could I tell you my top five strengths like quickly? Probably not until you go through a process of working that out. And so the way we work that out is we, we become more self-aware. We actually ask people. So invite people in who know you well to say, hey, what do you think I'm really good at? And not what do you think I'm like okay at, but like super good at, like your kind of genius zones. I want you to draw those out. And then you can do a couple of uh, really solid online tests like Gallup Strengths Finder, which is my all-time favorite, costs $40, totally worth it. But it tells you what your strengths are, your top five strengths. And then you can kind of look at your own job and career and work out, okay, what is my career? How much does my current job or career align with those things that I'm really good at? I really like, like that, Shell, and I wish I could pay attention more. I was just going <laughs> mad because if you watch it at home and you see our, our camera start fuzzing out, don't stress, we're as mad as you are. So <laughs> going, Why can't I see them? It's annoying me. Don't stress, it's annoying me more. <laughs> uh, but on that note, before we move in, I just want to do a big shout-out to MYAB, who are the supporters of this stream. Um, back to the Funny Business 100% live show last uh, for, is this the fourth, fourth yeah, episode fourth now episode. of backing it? They're on for uh, another f- five months. So talking about like strengths and weaknesses and what you're good at, MYAB have a, a all-in-one business management platform. So if you do know the things you're good at and they, they you have some other things you might need some help with, it's all-in-one. So it's got all the things that you need. But let's get into it, Shell. How do you do your strength finder stuff? I've done I've done a few of these tests before where like I've coming from a sporting background, I feel like that was one of the things that we did a lot. So um you had like the personality test you had the strength finder stuff how do you learn and i think like also having that mindset from being in sports it was always a thing for me to be not self-critical but i'd watch back footage or film of me playing and you'd be like what can i do to what can i what did i do well what did i can i do better and i feel like transitioning into a business landscape that wasn't always a practice that people did like Mm -hmm. self-reflection self-critique retrospectives looking at room for improvement or continuous improvement items it's not a regular thing that people have introduced in their workspaces but again keen to hear your thoughts on that uh that's awesome about watching watching the footage back of you of you playing like and i'd love to know when you did that because it's i guess that lens that sports have that isn't applied in the normal workplace there's so much we can learn from it when you did that how much time would you focus on the things that you did well versus the things that you felt like you need to fix There's, don't worry i was always watching if i kicked a few goals i'm watching those highlights a few times don't worry about that <laughs> i'm sending them i'm Weirdly. sending those highlights <laughs> yeah. oh, shit, shit. sorry i didn't mean to send you that no i did a fair, a fair bit at the time like i was back in this is back in 2010 2011 so uh, a big part of our how a normal week worked is we'd watch pre-game footage of the other teams who were playing we would watch footage of um, I would go and get work with our like game development person that head of the, and he'd give you any footage you want. So I could go and find other players that I liked and I'd find footage and you get different angles. So you'd be like, all right, cool. I'm going to watch them in the same way you watch them on TV or I'll watch behind the goal footage and understand how they run, what sort of patterns they do. And I would watch probably, I don't know, a few hours a week of footage and then of other people, of other people and other teams. And then I would cut mm. my own footage. So you get a big game file and then you would, sort of create your own highlights, highlights but also like what you what you did well so you'd have an improvement item lost like you'd have these things so for me like that practice of looking thing it was I was really obsessed with it because I wanted to be better you know and I think that that's where it all stems from when I, I, I do my stuff working with teams now is if you don't want to be better it starts with with that initial mindset like there's no point talking oh how am I going to find my dream career and do this other stuff like 
you have to be wanting to be if yeah. I think a good whether you're running your own business whether you're in some someone working for somewhere you got to always have that mindset of how can I be better at my job to have a good career that's my opinion I don't know Totally. And I think the word obsessed that you used is is massive, right? We need to be obsessed with our own growth. And I think it's easy to be obsessed with what other people are doing, but it's harder to be reflective enough about our own strengths, weaknesses, areas for growth, because that can be painful. It can be painful to get up close and personal with the areas that you need to grow. But if we don't do that exercise, then we risk stagnating. And stagnating in your career is the biggest risk you can take. Kind of early on in this conversation, we talked about risk and being risk averse. Well, if you want to avoid the biggest risk, it is don't stagnate, like focus on your own growth, own your career. One of the big things we talk about on our our podcast is how do you take more responsibility? Like stop outsourcing your career to other people. Stop outsourcing it to your boss or to your employer or to someone else that you're working for and really take ownership of that. And it starts with exactly what you're describing, Rob, of how do we really analyze our own performance and the performance of people who are awesome in the area and go, what are they doing that I can learn from? What what can I do and apply in my own way, like still true to who I am and in my kind of brand and vibe, but how can I apply those learnings to my own career? And I just love the idea of you spending hours watching back footage and videos and, and learning from that. Like, I think that's something that we can all take away and do in our career. It's funny because, like, I look back now and I think it was not, I didn't think I was doing anything out, out, like out of the normal. But now, it, doing what I do now, it's like, I, I feel like it's such a valuable experience that I had early in my career that I've brought with me along the way. And it's, I just think it's funny because when you mentioned before, like about people being self-aware and re- reflective enough, I feel like in careers, they one thing that maybe people don't always talk about is, is this stuff that you need to upskill in your own time? Is it on company time? Who's meant to pay for it? Are they, I need to be supported to do this. And I feel like we're in a pretty interesting time right now with like a, in our spaces, they call it the tech wreck and people being made redundant and all these sort of, it's it's a massive change. And I feel like Locke and I have been saying it in our ways, like people who have been really taking their careers seriously are going to be the ones that are in a better position now if there are less jobs or it's more competitive or there there's people are looking for certain things. It's like you need to be a self-starter. You need to be self-driven. You need to be able to want to be better. Like those, those traits now, I think, gone are the days in the world that we're living in right now where, People can get away with with putting half-assed efforts in or not wanting if a, a company offers you a training budget and you're not taking the training budget up or like the things like that, like they're simple things now that I look and it's like if you're, if I was running a company that had those people and they weren't doing that stuff, I'm, I'm asking the question, hey, what are you, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's interesting too, because I think what we've seen over the last, you know, three years has been how how little we control. So in our careers, we can't control what leadership decide to do with org structure. We can't control when decisions get made about redundancies. And they're some of the toughest things that you'll experience in your career. And so if anyone's dealing with that at the moment or they're in workplaces that are going through that, I just wanna say to you, that we really empathize with you and and it's a really tough spot to be in so i i think what we learn in these scenarios that are really difficult is that we need to own what's within our sphere of control and that is things like building your personal brand it's things like developing your skill whether it's on the on the company's money or your own i would be encouraging everyone spend time and your own money developing your own skill set don't wait for your employer to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm going to invest this money and you go into this training course, find ways to do that. And you can do it cheaply and in a cost-effective way if that's, a, if that's a factor. But I just think it's really important that we take control of what's within our sphere so that we can, we can set ourselves up to not be as impacted. Like we're always going to have career crises. We're always going to have those things that we can't control like redundancy. But we can set ourselves up well to plan for those realities that might take place in the future it's 
they're harsh realities too. What about what about even tossing up about having a career? Like like I'm obsessed about what we're doing now. I'm so passionate. I love it. Like I feel like that is my strength. But there's some days where I'm like, I wouldn't care what I do for a living. Like my whole life is about like family and shit. Like I grow up and I'm like, I didn't care what my dad or mum done for work. Like I was just like, who gives a fuck? You know, like I have a really good life. Like that's this is what life's about, kind of thing. And then like working real hard and sacrificing time and then trying to find that balance of like, why am I even working for? You know what I mean? Do you ever have like things like that? Like you mentioned career crisis. It's like, this happens on weekly for me. I, I feel like where it's just like, why would like, why I'd be do- happy just working at a bar and, and like having that easy life too. But like, I'm so hyper obsessed about this stuff as well. So it's like, I don't know. I feel two ways about it, you know? Yeah. That's a really good point. Like, I think there's a difference for me between doing a job and building a career. So I think about doing a job of going, okay, that serves a purpose for me. It might be income, it might be various things. I think building a career that you love, that gives you energy, to me, that is something that creates meaning, it creates purpose, and it creates this sense of I'm contributing and making an impact. Neither is right or wrong. I think it's about what do you value right now? What matters to you? And I think to your point, Locke, around well, my priority is my family. My priority is spending time with them and doing stuff that I love, like doing work that you that you love to do. I think we all need to ask ourselves this question. Are we serving our career or is our career serving us? I'm going to say it again. So are we serving our career or is our career serving us? And a lot of people I see, they're slaves to the career ladder. They're serving their career and they're giving everything they have to that beast of a thing that gives them very little back instead of flipping it and going, no, you know what? My career is here to serve serve me. It needs to serve my lifestyle. If I'm giving, spending 60 plus hours a week on this business and not having any time for my family, are you serving your career or is your career serving you? Because we need to look at our life and say, how does this thing actually benefit us? Because it should, like it should energize you, it should give you meaning and it should actually let you do the things that you really, really care about, like being an engaged parent, engaged partner, whatever that looks like to you. It's crazy to think that um, like how many conversations we have with people who their identities are touched up with exactly who who that, like when we ask that first question, it's a bit of a loaded question now that you um, we're talking about this, like who are you, what do you do? Like, so many people and their identity is wrapped up. Like they can't have the discussions like, oh, I'm a parent first or whatever. Like, we can yeah. see, you can judge. And, uh, like, and it's harsh because yeah, yeah. like I don't want to be, I, I hate to judge people like that, but it feels like now there's so much information out there. You don't need to do that anymore. You know, like it's like, but maybe people, I just think it comes back to that. It's like a safety blanket for people. Like they like, I've got my thing. I don't want to have to think about anything else. Leave me alone mm. for 35 years old. Is that a job? I don't know. Yeah, you, you have to forecast for, we talked about painful realities. If you're attaching your job, if you're attaching your identity to your job, let's forecast that down the line. What happens when you get made redundant? What happens when your boss says you're not performing? What happens when you your contract ends and all of a sudden your identity that's been so wrapped up in this job is detached and then who are you? Who are you without that career? Who are you without that job? And that's why we really need to know, okay, my identity is not tied up. Yes, I get meaning. Yes, I get purpose and value and I get to make an impact. But who I am is not defined by this role. And one of the things that I often ask myself, because I have a, a tendency towards workaholism, and I know a lot of people probably tuning into this wheel as well because you're on LinkedIn at like 7.30. a.m. <laughs> so like if this is you, I, I see you. Uh, and I would encourage you to ask, what it, ask yourself, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what you do or who you're becoming? Because if we focus on who we're becoming, it's this future-focused thing. And that means I'm, I, who do I want to become? not what do I want to do. So for me, I'm always thinking, well, what kind of person do I want to become in my working life? And that looks like someone who's generous. It looks like someone who's engaged. It looks like someone who is contributing and making an impact, but it doesn't look like a job title. It doesn't look look like a pay, a salary figure. It's not those external things. It's more about internally, who am I and how do I make sure that my career 
aligns with that. This is something that I learned the hard way. Talk about like self-identity or attaching identity to who you are, what you like your career. Growing up as a kid, all I wanted to do was play sports. You know, I didn't care what sport I wanted to do. I wanted to be, reach the top of something and be a professional athlete. And lucky enough for me that I got to live out that dream playing footy. But the truth, harsh reality is it's just like any job being made redundant. If you don't get another contract, you, you, you're gone, you're out. So it's not, it's not like you can choose. I think sports is one of those interesting things where I've actually had to change my career. Like I feel like working in tech was my second career and now podcasting is my third sports was my first my first one and at the losing my contract and going through a spiral of self in uh issues about self-worth um cycle of depression anxiety of i really it was something that I could, was out of my control you know i couldn't i couldn't beg for another contract there's no contracts there to give once they mm. decide you're off the list it's like being made it's like being made redundant somewhere there's no job to come back to so i probably took the best part of, I was lucky enough. I was still studying and I was trying. I knew I was already having to find another job because I didn't think that career was never going to last. It's not a fifty-year career, you know. What I mean, playing mm. sports, you've, it's all right. But everyone will tell you when you're at that time, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no one. I didn't expect. It's from, weird too. Like no one, if you got a normal corporate job, no one's going, oh yeah, you're about to get the best job ever. <laughs> you know, like no one really does that. But again, it's, it's something that I really had to work hard on myself and the self-reflection of finding myself outside of Robbie the athlete. Now I'm Robbie the person, and I like I have other strengths and I have other passions. I'm interested in other things, and just because I don't do that anymore doesn't mean I'm not um worthless and I still have uh, like I still have value and stuff to give. And it took me a few years, like being younger. At that time, I, I probably didn't have the maturity level to deal with something of that that size back in 2011. Too, there wasn't the same talk of mental health and mm. things. To like, I was just, I was, to be honest, I was just fucked for a good a good amount of time. And now I, I I see the same. Like it's so sad. You mentioned before, like wave of redundancies, people being out of work and who might be feeling lost. They might be feeling mm. super stressed. They might have mortgages. They might have other things they need to find. How you apply yourself practically to something else and I feel like when I realize that one of the things, my strengths is I'm really good at learning. I'm good at picking up a concept and I can understand. And if you, if I know what the aim of the game is, I can figure out how I can, what I can do to fit into that game. And I sort of, I think that Locke, you've got this trait as well as like you, you start tackling new challenges and you take them on more frequently and you get better at being uncomfortable. You get Mm. better at learning through, failure i feel like there's a lot of people talk about don't say failure say learning well no the truth is sometimes you have to you you learn through failure you know learn to lose you learn from what did i stuff up this week why did that go well or yeah and that that process of doing it over and over and over again for people who might have that issue with attachment to their identity thing is that's the thing it's like resilience building but without having to use the word resilience all the time, like everyone else is trying to say. It's like, no, they're the things you actually have to do and sometimes it's shit and it's going to be hard and it, you might be... <laughs> Most of the time it's going to be shit. And you might, <laughs> you might be a bit stressed getting through it, but you have to do it. They're like that's, It's just like you have to pick yourself up and you have to do it. Yeah, I'd love to know, Rob, when you were processing that because, I mean, it's really interesting as well when you've got a career or a job that's really attached. It's kind of like a dream as well. Like it's like that whole concept of dream jobs and I hate the concept of dream jobs. I'm so not into it because I think it's a really fixed kind of static idea and it causes us to get really involved in a certain kind of job and it it sets up these expectations that I don't think are reasonable. But I'd love to know for you, like when you had to let go of probably something that was was a huge part of who you were and a dream in a sense, what was the thing that helped you the most get through that journey like you said it was like a two-year process what do you think helped you the most in that it's funny i reckon it was where my next job was so i went from signing autographs playing on the mcg running school clinic. like no i wasn't anyone who gets on the list you get to sign on this no they didn't know who i no, was you, you signed, found all like, the members addresses and like, he was knocking on the door the truth is <laughs> at 18, 18 19 years old doing that sort of stuff experiencing going to doing guest talks running clinics for hundreds of kids and like you feel like it was a, it's a dream job like playing professional sports like that is is like that and my reality check was when I got the flick and I couldn't get another job so I had people crossing my experience off as a professional off my resume telling me why would you even put that on my resume why would I even do it and I was like well that who else at 18 is doing public speaking running clinics doing that sort of, and I had to learn that there was value in those things but 
again, there was such a bad word of like, oh, you're a dumb footy player. I just didn't want to be that vibe. But mm. so lucky enough, I was literally handing out for people who are in Melbourne and understand what High Point is. Like I was handing out CVs to uh, all to all the shops in High Point, couldn't even get a job at JJ's. You know what I mean? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You, you can't fold clothes, to be fair. Yeah, my, my but that was, a, <laughs> that was such a harsh, I was already struggling with that. Yeah. I've got no self-worth and then I couldn't even get a job as a retail thing, like hand, working at JJ's. But funny enough, my next, my first job after playing footy was at a company called EB Games. So like selling video games. And I was working at High Point, wearing the school shirt and school shoes in there, selling video games to people. And one of the games that they sold was actually the AFL PlayStation game. And I was a character on that game. So my reality check, the, the thing that got me through it was like I couldn't have hit any more rock bottom. I went from playing the game to selling the game that I'm a character on. Wow. You know what I mean? And I'm like, got recognized by a king. He's like, didn't you use the target thing out of the play room? And I'm like, yeah, bro. You want to buy this video game? I'm on there. I don't get paid any royalties, but I make $21 an hour, you know? Yeah. So my uh, going home to your easy Mac. Yeah, it was I had a hard I think my my reality yeah. is like getting through was because it was just so obscure. You know, like yeah. a dream job to then the reality check of selling the video game that you're a character on. Like wow. that was, that's was, that's that's a wild story. Pretty like, much. It was a weird experience. Like I looking back now and like, but I was always conscious because I'm five I'm five foot nine. So like a, a long career in in footy as a thing like I always back then too back then too like yeah. I didn't think I was ever you're lucky it's only the average lifespan like two years for an AFL player so mm. I, I knew that stuff I was studying outside I was doing a uni degree part-time while I was playing but and then like working into trying to find a pathway but again it was that whole thing for me and, and attaching my identity it took me a long time to get over that and I, I honestly I can say like it maybe it's the first few years of like dealing with it but for me, it was a 10-year process of, of like a healing, self-reflection, mm -hmm. what am I good at, finding new things, and then grinding, like starting, like literally starting from the, I felt like when I lost that job, I started like three steps behind all my friends who went to uni and got a job and tradies earning, tradies earning extra money. Like uh, I was doing things for no money. Like I was like on Australian minimum wage or less, like trying to build a new career after having my dream job and that yeah. was that was my harsh reality that I've learned so I I know people can do it because I've done it you know you can build a new career you can change pathways if you apply yourself you upskill you learn you be a sponge you network you meet people like work hard you work hard you have to work hard and it's it's harsh like I know there's so many sacrifices now that I'd love to get into people changing lanes and what you think yeah. they might like you have to sacrifice there's trade-offs for everything that's my opinion but keen to get into that yeah, totally. And I think it goes to the whole concept of you will have a career crisis. If you haven't had one already, you will have one. And the main thing that we need to remember when we hit those moments is that you will get through it. Like you, it could take, like you said, Rob, a few years, it could take a few months. The main thing we need to remember is I'm going to be okay. Like I'm going to reflect on what I'm good at and work it out. I mean, for me, like when we wrote the book sort your career out i was okay like legit this is what happened i was standing on the street of george i was on george street in sydney i just finished up a hr consulting gig and i was working in this job for for a short period of time like four or five months and was like this is not right for me this is not aligned with my strengths i've worked in hr for like over 10 years and it's just not this is just not working for me so i quit my job without another job to go to and I just had a baby as well. So it wasn't good timing for this. Like my husband and I were like, well, we're just going to figure it out. And I acknowledge it's a privileged spot to be in to quit without another job to go to. But for me, I just knew I have to do this. Like I can't stay where I am. And so <laughs> I quit, finished this gig, consulting gig in Sydney, got on the phone to Glenn James, who runs My Millennial Money and the podcast group that I'm involved in. And I said, oh, hey, like, I've just quit my job. He's like, oh yeah, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, don't know. I'm just going to wing it. He's like, oh, okay. Right. Well, and meanwhile, like I've got this bloody careers podcast that I run and I'm having a complete career meltdown over here. Like I'm just like, so like so anxious, like have no idea what I'm doing. Anyway, he goes, oh, why don't we write a careers book? 
And I'm like, nah, mate, like I'm unemployed. Like I don't have a job. Like we can't write a careers book. I cannot contribute to that because I'm like having a complete meltdown. He's like, no, no, let's do it. Let's do it. So he texts our publisher, Wiley, that day. He goes, hey, hey, can we, can we, we've got an idea. We're going to do a career book. We'll call it sort your career out and make more money. So they text back. They're like, sweet, let's do it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's my cycle of like, I just cannot do this. And he ended up saying to me, this is the best time for you to do this book because you are going to go through the process of sorting your career out. And I did. And that was the amazing thing because I had to do the deep work, like you described Rob so beautifully, like of go through the process of why did I end up here? Like, why am I in this zone? Why am I feeling this way about my job and my life? And how can I navigate through that? How can I figure out instead of looking at all the external stuff of our jobs and careers, like a title, like a a corporate ladder that we all feel pressured to climb, how do I find something that I love, that I'm enjoying and good at and go and do that thing? And so we wrote this book really out of, and it came out of my own crazy ass career crisis. And I think that was the biggest learning for me is that, okay, it might be rough right now, but it's a process and you can follow a process to move through that crisis and find something you really love, which is what ended up helping me to start my own business. I like that. Question in from Pam. What mental processes do you think one should work through when in a serious career crisis or big change? Love that, Pam. The, The first thing is to know your values. So we need to go and figure out what is important to you. It's like what you said, Locke, before a family. What are your top four values? And they could be things like, for me, it's growth. If I'm not growing, I don't feel engaged and and autonomy. I need to feel like I have complete control and autonomy over the way that I work. So I want you, Pam, to work out what are your top four values as a process we take you through in the book, or you can look up online values and figure it out for yourself. But first start there. And then the next step is know your strengths. So we really need to figure out what are the things that you're good at that you uniquely do better than anyone else. And then I want you to start assessing jobs against those things. So those are kind of the first steps that you need to go through to navigate if you're in a career crisis right now. And it'll really help you to find that next move. If you had, this question's for you, Locke, top five skills, what are they? What are your strengths? Ever since you said that at the start of the pod, I was trying to think and I'm like, pestering people people think that's annoying but like i feel like driving stuff you know what i mean like if we've got something to do like you said it a few times like once i like the process is there i can just do it repeated sort of stuff where it's just like that's the new sort of habit or ritual that we do with our workflow and shit like he's really good at setting up the game plan and stuff and i feel like i'll just like apply that to what we actually do yeah you're good at i reckon your strengths you're great at communicating and building relationships and i feel like I was thinking about this last night. We've had some big changes for what our business was doing. We had a consultancy last year. We're moving more now into like a connect, like Dream Big Social Club would be about connecting people to the services and, and activities and things that they actually need at the point in time. So it's it's moving very much more to a relationship-based business. And I was like, all right, cool. I think that I'm, like Locke said, I'm probably better at the game plan and the strategy type stuff. And one of my weaknesses, I'd say, is like, investing more time in relationships because i think relationship people who are like really good at it they're so self selfless and Mm. like my background being sports and it's very still it's still very intrinsically motivated like they're still self i think that professional if you're a professional sports person it's like the most selfish endeavor you can do because you're not it's you're trying to be (laughs) like it's just trying to be better for you you know it's not yes for team sports but if you're like Usain Bolt, you know what I mean? Like he just wants to run fast because he wants to win gold medals for himself. (laughs) Whereas like now it's like, I I think it's like apply really without trying to be critical of myself. Like you understand the things that you need to improve on. What would you say your weakness? Well, yeah, but like how much time do you, do you spend a lot of time on your strengths or do you spend a lot of time fixing your weaknesses, balancing out? I feel like my mindset's, my mindset shifted over time. I used to be like, just concentrate on your strengths and double down. But it's like, no, I'd rather be more well-rounded and understand what the fuck's going on in other areas now. And I was like, maybe I'm just maturing or maybe that's the other, the wrong way around. But for, for me now, I'm like, no, I need to round out what I'm not good at and just figure out like, so I'm never really that uncomfortable, you know, it's like the, the getting like a base toolkit, you know, for yeah, how, right. how things are going, you know, like what's like, like cooking, you know, like 
I feel like when you learn how to cook, it's like knowing what, what to do with flour, egg and all that type of shit. <laughs> you know, you've got ingredients, you know how to make different things. That's what I think like with this in, in our career, what we're doing can, is can building you, that Can out. you cook? I can cook two-minute noodles and I get, the, um, <laughs> I get the frozen veggies and put a bit of satay sauce in the wok. It's off its head. So you should try that. That's the, that. the Bradford special. <laughs> the that's about as far special. as I go. A bit of toast, a bit of oh, – I'll make uh, – Spaghetti jaffles and that, they're good. But that's about it. I'm not a very good cook, Shell. I'm not a very good cook. But, I, like, I think, yeah, just the, the, the toolkit and gathering, like, the, the main ingredients and, like, rounding out your skills. Like, I was, like, yeah, I was always strengths because I didn't feel like I had any strengths. I was, like, I need to work doubly hard and be, like, 12 out of 10 at this. And then, but it's, like, no, nah, it's, like, lifting up all the other areas and just being more rounded, I suppose. So that's an interesting perspective because I – would in some ways kind of challenge some of that around is well-rounded being well-rounded going to make you a higher performer Uh, and so i don't have an answer to that question it's just a question to put out there to think about one of the things i would encourage people to do and what i do in hr and on teams is i want you to spend a a disproportionate amount of energy on your strengths but i want you to know your blind spots so if we figure out so if I spend like, okay, I'm crap at maths. Like I am, uh, my last maths test in high school, I got 14%. I'm terrible at it. If, if I was to become terrible to mediocre, would that lift my overall performance in my career? Probably not. But if I spent all my energy on the creative subjects, which I was always really good at and became from a good level to a great level, would that have a big impact? Yes, it would absolutely impact my performance. The things we need to know are our blind spots. So I think about this in terms of like your EI. So if you if you are rude and abrupt in meetings and cut people off, but you don't realize you do that, that is going to impact your career. That's a blind spot. I don't know that that's necessarily something of going, okay, well, I just need, I'm terrible at it. I need to become mediocre. It's like, no, you need to address that blind spot because that's going to hold you back. That So if we think about what are your weaknesses in terms of relationships, what are your weaknesses in terms of emotional intelligence or soft skills, which I hate the term soft skills is the worst, but what, what are some of those human skills you can build and develop and and how do you get someone to speak into your world and say, hey, Locke, you've got a blind spot over here how can we help you grow in that area? Like we need people to speak into it, into our world in that way. Can we get into goal setting? So I feel like yeah. all this stuff is like figuring out the lay of the land, mapping out all the good stuff. And you're like, all right, cool. Now what do I do? Can we get into a bit of how do you set the right goals? Yeah. So I think we've, we've done the work. Let's say we've, we've defined our values. We've talked about our strengths. We know our strengths. Now we set our goals. The first thing I want you to do, and this is super practical, is to meet with either a mentor or a coach or your boss and tell your boss what you're good at and ask them for input. I want you to talk to your boss and say, okay, hey, ultimately, I would like to get to here in my career. So talk to them about the long game whatever that looks like for you and have that conversation. Because one of the things people often don't do is they don't ask for help. And once your boss knows maybe your long-term view of where you want to end up, let's say right now you're a, you're a marketing specialist and you want to end up as a marketing manager and leading a team, talk to your boss about whatever that long-term view is, and then they can help you actually map out the smaller steps. So they can help you map out what are those little things that you can be doing along the way that would help transition you from where you are now to where you need to be. But often we think we just have to design all the goals and sort it out ourselves, but people around us can help us achieve some of those milestones along the way. And I'd I'd love to ask you guys, like, have you got, like, have you had those mentoring moments with people that they've helped you map out, um, I guess, your future goals or where you want to be? I, I, had that been- I, I had a one by a big shout out to Nick Pulse who um, helped me get into this this sort of industry in the first place and having someone who one believes in you but two can see see strengths. So I think like a, a good someone who is honest and, and can help you in that sense is always like looking out for your best interests. But again, like that whole like mentor, coach, friend, colleague, whatever, I think it's an interesting thing of like whether people 
get value. I think there's so much value out of like professional relationships that are in that frame, but you got to make sure that they're the right type of person and they're, and they're looking out for you and your best interest. Like, I feel like it's that almost like creating that psychological safety to have open conversations where mm. people, if you don't have that, if you don't have that with your boss, you might not be like, you might not want to walk up to them and ask them that question. You know, you know, it's like, I feel like it's why this deeper relationships of finding people who are understand you and they, but again, they might probably, if they work with you, they're probably got a better lens of what your strengths are anyway. Cause they see, they see how I <laughs> see what you yeah. do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. What about you, Locke? Oh, I don't know. I feel like you, I've worked lots of different things and it's like working with people who just like, he believes in the way I just do my shit, you know, like, uh, like no one else has, like, why would they? Because we're friends. So it helps. And I feel like you just let me be me. And that allows me to just do my shit. And like, you teach me a lot of things about stuff that I'm learning, like in, in this space and tech and just all that stuff and how things work and stuff. So I feel like I'm learning new shit every day and like working with someone who you learn from, like, I don't want to buy too much smoke up your ass, but it's like, <laughs> for me, that's why it's cool. You know, honestly, yeah. like, I, I feel like I can do whatever I want. And like, I've, he, like the way we operate is like, we give each other full autonomy, like do your thing, like however you yeah. get it done, just get it done. And it's like, that's the sickest shit for us. You can, know? can you come on the pod more often? He's saying nice things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's really. But, but what about like, um, what about like being an employer, like a company, how much responsibility do you have on personal growth with, with people in your company? Like how, like how much responsibility should you take for that? Like if someone does come up to you and you've got like a thousand employees and they've all got their personal growth plans and stuff, like how important is that for them to set that up? It's massive because if you want to engage your people, millennials and Gen Zs, what do they want from their career? They want growth. And growth doesn't mean moving up into from a specialist to a leadership role. They want to feel challenged and like they're learning and growing. So we need to, if you're an employer, if you're a leader, if you run a, if you run a small business, you need to find ways to help your people grow. And, it, and that could be giving them challenging projects. It could be giving them experiences they haven't had before. But I want you to look for those opportunities. And the more you can facilitate that, the more likely you are to retain those people. So we've all worked places where our leader didn't invest in us, didn't help us grow. And those are miserable places to be because you stagnate, you get stuck, you're not challenged, you don't feel like anyone cares about your development. And and I think as a good leader, we need to be proactively finding ways to help our team develop. So you can sit down with them and ask the question and say, hey, how can I help you in your career? Like whether that's here or somewhere else, over the long term, what do you want and how can I help you get there? When you work with these companies, how much time should people be if they are like they have those sort of roles or they're like an early early stage company? How much time should they be investing in their people? <laughs> I don't know. I can quantify time because I'm like not time. I mean, let's yeah. say like how much energy, effort, how much focus should be allocated to it. Okay, here's a simple answer: more than they are right now. <laughs> we like that. More than they are right now, because I often have leaders come to me, and this happens all the time uh, with my clients. They, they, business owners come to me and they say, "How often should I meet one on one with my staff? Like, is quarterly okay?" No, quarterly is not okay. Like, I just want to be blunt. Quarterly is not okay. Marcus Buckingham, his research says that if you meet with your employees weekly for fifteen minutes one on one, engagement increases dramatically. The more often you meet with your employees one on one, the more engaged they are in their job, the higher performing your team will be. So I would be encouraging any leader, meet one-on-one fortnightly with your team members. And people balk at that. I don't know why, because I'm like, you're leading a team. That's their job. Like help them help them do their job. Because they're busy. People want to feel seen though. Like, and like, hey, yeah, that's what you're doing this week. You know, like that's what I know what you're doing. Like it has meaning to what I'm, yeah. the task that I'm doing throughout the week, especially if you're working remotely, you know, like you need to be able to have that connection piece and like see that, Hey, if you're doing a good job, you get a pat on the back or if things need improvement, it's the way you communicate it. But like, I don't know. I think creating engaged teams are like the hardest thing to do right now. And it's the problem that every company is having because how do you align the people that you've got, especially if they can't see each other face to face to company's goals, the company's objectives, the work that needs to be done, making sure people are doing the right things, the risks are being raised, the the, the, things are going wrong and bugs happen, like you've got the processes and people feel comfortable and they're engaged enough, they're going to be proactive and fix the problems and talk to the people they need to do. And I reckon that right now, 
there's a lot of people that it was like a, I reckon it was a cool like seesaw effect a little bit like COVID leveled it for if people were lucky enough to have a job, they could work remotely. The benefits of working remotely were like, Oh, I want five days a week from home and I'm doing the washing here and sorry, I'm taking this meeting, but I'm ironing my pants. Or like, it's like, hang on a minute. Yeah. Would you be ironing your pants in the middle if you were in the office? You know, it's like <laughs> the balance of what people expected as an employer yeah. just like went out the door. And do you have, have you had any of those conversations working with people about yeah. setting up the right strategies to get the most out of people? Yeah, you're so spot on with the swing of kind of what do we expect? And I think this goes to a lot of leaders saying to me, oh, my employees are really entitled. And I think entitlement is a really big challenge with teams. So if you feel like your employees are entitled, there's instead of viewing it as an attitude problem, I want you to look at it as an expectations problem. So that employee who expects now that they can iron their pants in the middle of the day and spend 20 minutes doing their ironing instead of, you know, working or whatever, we, we would say to them, okay, well, hey, here's what you expect. Here's what we expect. We've got a little, we've got a little bit of a gap in our expectations. How do we close that? Let's let's work out how do we close the gap of expectations. And it comes, this is in anything. You can have an employee who starts brand new and wants to get a pay rise in three months. And the employer's like, hey mate, like no way, we we, we do a 12-month review. We need to work out what are the what are the unspoken expectations and how do we close them? And that's where we address entitlement, that's where we address difference of opinion, and and we can actually clarify that. And I think to your point, Rob, about engaged teams, I think you can have really thriving, engaging, thriving and engaged teams remotely, but the more time we spend with people talking about the stuff that we don't like to talk about, having some of those tough conversations, the more likely we can reach that engaged level that we want. I like the concept of like setting standards. So I like using the word standards that people can feel. And then it's about keeping each other accountable and keeping your teammates accountable to the standards that you want to set. So from a ways of working perspective, let's say you're doing stand-ups every day or you're using uh, work tracking software like a Jira or a Trello or something to see what work it is. For me, a standard might be like, hey, our team agrees that every day before this meeting, we're going to have updated our tickets and added the details of what's happened. That's an easy thing that if you turn up every day and you've got a a team that's engaged, they're going to have all their tickets updated. They're going to be have no. They're, yeah. they're going to know they're going to come into that meeting, and they're going to. It's going to be a productive meeting because they've done the work, they've made the updates, they've done the prep work, they've they've not turned up to a meeting blind and done whatever. Versus a team that, as simple standard as that of, are coming to the meeting and they take a fifteen minute call to get the day to get the day's game, game plan becomes a. Oh, have you updated this yet? Or I don't know where that's at or such and such is away today and they haven't updated that. And no, I don't know where that, that might be blocked too. And nothing actually gets done. So the difference between the teams are still executing and spending the same time together, but there's no value. There's one meeting is getting value and one meeting is getting mm. absolutely no value. And it becomes down to the standard that the teams are actually living to of what, what do we expect of each other? And I think that's the gap a little bit with remote teams, which you got away with it in person because you had more time with each other. Whereas now all that sort of maybe like digital housekeeping, you know, like standards can fit into that bucket a little bit. Yeah. I love that digital housekeeping. That's such a good concept. And I think, I think it's honestly, most of the problems that we have on teams come down to how do we have honest conversations with one another? Like how do we, how do we have, tough and difficult conversations and do that in kindness. The more leaders can do that, the more they set that standard for the team and the team can actually hold each other accountable. But if the leader's not, if, if the business owner leader isn't holding their people accountable, don't expect the team to do it peer to peer because that just oh, won't happen. Yeah, you look at the top, don't you? And if they're not doing it, it's like, why would I? Like, and it just, and the bigger the team is, the harder that is. Like, one little thing like that can fuck a whole thing, eh? But it's like, why would I? Seriously, why would, why would I? Yeah. See leaders demonstrating the behaviors that you want for your organization, your culture. Oh, they don't do it. Why, why would you do? expect someone who is earlier in their career that doesn't have the same accountability and responsibility in their job anyway, <laughs> take on those responsibilities <laughs> to drive the culture that you're meant to be setting, that you're rewarded for and that you're remunerated to do? It might, it blows my mind having these conversations that they don't 
Like if you're a leader now in an organization that has a remote workforce and you're not giving your team, you're not having any one-on-ones and you want to catch up once a quarter, like what are you actually doing? What is your job? Like what do yeah. you, I want your job. Because you must like, <laughs> you must be doing something really interesting. Uh, totally. and you can't prioritize that. Well, that's why I always find it really surprising when leaders are like, I don't want to be in any more meetings. I'm like, wait, I think your job is primarily in meetings. Like you do the bulk of your work in a meeting because you're leading teams, you're influencing. Like if you're, if you have 10 direct reports, you will be in meetings and a lot of them, and you need to learn how to run them really well. Like you need to make them fun, engaging, epic. Don't sit through a boring meeting and just, you know, hold up your little agenda and walk through it. Like make them moments for your team. And that's why I hate when people uh, slag on meetings. So I'm like, meetings can be awesome if the leader and the key person responsible for that makes it that way. I just think we're in such a weird time at the moment. Like this work stuff, I know it's like a, this is the perfect pod to have a rant about. We're talking about 100 careers, <laughs> but like the concept of working and then like people having jobs now that are fully remote and never meeting their teammates ever, you know, like it's a, it's weird. It comes to this thing which started the pod with like, you might have 30 different jobs and five different careers. And like, this is not an expert. I never thought growing up that I'd have a job where I might work with someone that I'd never actually meet, but I've got to learn to build a deeper, deep enough relationship mm. that I can get the task done or like, it's a, I think they're, they're, you mentioned soft skills and emotional intelligence earlier, Sean. I'd love to get into why they're so important now in creating really highly engaged teams. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Molly Hellerman from Atlassian actually on our pod about this idea of how do you connect to people that you never, ever meet? And because they work, they have their whole idea of team anywhere. And so she said that they create space in every meeting for genuine connection of like getting to know people on that personal level because i think the temptation is when we're so busy is that we just feel like we don't have any space for banter we don't have any space to go hey like lock how are you really like how are you really going how really i'm just interested in you and when you allow space when you actually ask those really honest and questions that can feel quite vulnerable to ask we can get to know people and i know like that there's no substitute for in-person contact i love running workshops in person it's one of my favorite things to do but i think we can still do it as long as there's there's margin in our schedule we have to be really intentional about that how do i create margin to allow my team to share openly and honestly about where they're at and i mean soft skills or human skills i like would refer to them as I mean, they're some of the hardest things to develop, but if you develop them, they're things that can't be automated. They can't be uh, done by AI. So I think focusing on those things um, has to be the priority for our careers. Can't be done by AI yet. <laughs> yet, yeah, yeah. Well, what? yeah, that's right. It's like they can't be done by AI, but who knows? <laughs> well, you like the School of Life, Lock. You talk about the School of Life as a resource. If you haven't seen haven't seen their stuff, oh, that's my favorite stuff. Like I remember going to school, and that that wasn't for me. And I think like learning stuff that you actually want to learn, and like spending time to dive deep, like that changed my life. Like because they got so the way they communicate the messages in the different books and the different things. I was like, oh, this just speaks to me. I like that. Yeah. Hey, before we let you go, Shell, if anyone's in the in the chat now and you have final questions, we've got a couple more minutes to go. Uh, but if for those who are listening along, they want to find out where they can find you, where they can listen to more of your gold, where they can read more of the stuff you're putting out. How do they get all the things that you've been putting out into the world? Yeah, so you can just find me on LinkedIn, Shelly Johnson, and you can listen to our podcast, My Millennial Career. Anyway, listen, and my business is Bold Side. That's like three different like things. But, hey, that's me. <laughs> and a book? What's the, and the book? Oh, yeah, book, the book, lol. <laughs> I saw it at the thing? airport, Shell. I was at the airport Did last you? week and I was like, this is nuts. I was, I was just... Like, it's such a good book. Like, I, I flicked Aww. through it and I was like, this is just insane. Like, the templates and stuff that you put in there, like, the amount of detail is sick, you know? I and hope it feels you really scanned custom. a QR code and got a resume and cover letter for yourself because that's all in there. <laughs> you oh, could no get that way. without I didn't see it. that. No. Um, yeah, the book, Sort Your Career Out, wherever, wherever you get good books. And if you enjoy it, let me know because I love getting messages from people saying that they've, they've applied it and they landed their promotion. Like, it just makes me so happy. I like that. Makes well, me thank, happy too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for jumping on so early and chatting with us today. Uh, pumped to 
talk all things crew. I think it's, so, it's such a weird, like I've been saying throughout the pod, such a weird time at the moment. And I feel like a lot of people will get so much value out of digging into your work, but also um, really analyzing what they're good at, what their strengths are and how they can use 2023 as a year to build towards something and build towards a better life without sounding too culty. You know, I think like, cool last time we chatted, <laughs> I was all about charging the energy. energy, but I still feel very much like that. It's just, I've been thinking heaps about your energy like on that podcast. And I think, yeah, how do we bring the energy? <laughs> that sounds oh, weird, oh, but you know yeah, what I mean. Go and ch- charge your crystals, get out under the moonlight and build that career you want in 2023. If you think it, it'll just happen. Yeah, yeah like, just uh, manifest it. Into- pod, yeah, just think it and it'll happen. Is this 100% manifesting the show or not? It's not. It's about careers. Well, thanks. Uh, good to chat thanks again thanks so much and, and thanks to myob uh they're backers of this stream go and check what they're doing out all in one business uh management platform doing cool things thanks so much for supporting the stream and for those who tuned in woke up so morning uh, woke up early this morning thanks and we'll see you next week